This episode of the Major Issues Podcast is brought to you by Patreon.com slash CBC Clubhouse. Comic Book Click is on Patreon, guys. For as little as $0.10 cents a day or $3 a month, not only can you help keep the lights on here at Comic Book Click headquarters, but your donation gives you access to exclusive content like CBC commentaries, polls where you can choose what content we cover next, and special behind-the-scenes footage of things here at Comic Book Click. Visit Patreon.com slash CBC Clubhouse today and become a Patreon. And remember, you, yes you, are worthy. everybody out there in comic book land my name is george serrano aka the don and if you're listening to this you can only be here for one reason and i have to do all that again because my microphone is not on i thought so i didn't get ahead of myself hello yeah it definitely sounds it definitely sounds a lot different now (laughs) sounds a whole lot different (laughs) three two one Hello, everybody out there in comic book land. My name is George Serrano, a.k.a. The Don. And if you're listening to this, you can only be here for one reason. And it's a brand new episode of the Major Issues Podcast brought to you by ComicBookClick.com. And as always, I am never alone. Sir, if you could please introduce yourself. I am the man on his deathbed, Dan the Comic Book Man. (laughs) Dan the Comic Book Man is the latest casualty to the coronavirus pandemic that has been ravaging the world it's two years since the entire world shut down and we're still dealing with the ramifications and no this isn't to say that dan is not vaxxed or boosted he's actually both <laughs> but uh sometimes it, it just happens it just yeah. happens i was i thought i was i thought i was special i thought i was brita uh, i've been bit 10 minutes ago i was fine no, I just bro. thought it was a normal fever i take a little test and then there goes those blue little li- those red little lines those two little lines and and yeah last night last literally last night it was probably the worst sickness i ever had in my entire life but the show must go on it will always go on and i had to read anyways and i'm (laughs) here i'm here ready for it well thank you for being a part of this as you know there's no walking away from the cbc just like there's no walking away from being in the men in black which was what we'll be talking about today uh, specifically the comics, even though we'll dabble into some of the movies here and there, as we are reminded with how this came about. Men in Black 2 turns 20 this year? Uh, should, yep. Yeah, 20 years since Men in Black 2. Which means um, it's like 27 years since the first one. Probably yes. longer. I think the first one came out in 1997. I'll double check that, but yeah, I think you're, I think I'm you're right. I'm pretty sure 97 or 98. And an international came out two years ago. Uh, I think it came out the year before the pandemic. Yeah, ninety-seven, uh, two thousand and twelve, and actually, I guess you could say it's at the ten-year anniversary of Men in Black Three. That is also true. Which I actually genuinely like that movie. I think all of them are, are pretty good movies. I won't even lie. I can actually sit down and enjoy all four Men in Black and not feel like I wasted my time. Like I genuinely think all those movies four? are great movies. All. I actually love International. I think International is a fun thrill ride. I think Tessa Thompson is great. Chris Hemsworth is awesome. Then there's, uh, oh no, yeah. Damn, there's also Emma Thompson too. That's weird. 
Yeah, too many Thompsons. There's Emma Thompson and Tessa Thompson. And uh, Liam Neeson, isn't that? Yep, and Liam Neeson. And uh, it was, uh, what was it? Who? No, the third one had had my boy from uh, from A Serious Man and uh, good old Jermaine Clementine. Isn't Brolin? And Josh Brolin plays a young Tommy Lee Jones, like the perfect, one of the perfect castings for a younger actor. Like that is great. So like all, all four of the movies had like great casting choices and everyone did a great job for what the movie has to be. Even Johnny Knoxville in the second one was pretty much a fun comic relief. And Rosario Dawson is in the second one. Johnny Knoxville doesn't feel like stunt casting in that second one. He just feels like an actor. Right, a- like, like it. Uh, that's what I'm trying to say. Is like everybody that's been in all four of these movies didn't feel like they were stunt casted. Didn't feel like, oh, we just need you to play this typecasted role. Like everyone felt like they were, they, they brought worth, they brought value to each movie, and I. That's why I truly love all four movies. They have a very special place in my heart. When did you realize that these things were based on a comic? Uh, I think I was a teenager, maybe a little younger. Because comics was always something that, that was around me. Even, even if I don't remember reading all of them or if I didn't read all of them, comic knowledge was just always something that's been around from my uncles to my cousin to my dad. Like me and my cousin Justin used to, we used to read our, his older brother and my uncle's comics, the, uh, the white boxes. So, okay. like, those are all, so a lot of that stuff I knew, like I knew Blade was a comic. I knew, um, I knew a lot of Batman lore without ever having to truly read myself batman lord so like the comic knowledge has always been around but this this is this comic is by far nothing that i expect i expected something completely different yeah so it seems that we have the men in black as they were you can split into almost three different chapters um the modern myth that people have propagated the conspiracy theory if you will that there are a group of uh, shadowy individuals working for the government or some sort of pseudo government agency that goes around and does its best to hide um, things that the normal human shouldn't see, sh- uh, couldn't handle, that kind of stuff. Um, so before we move forward from there, I wanted to ask you, where do you stand on conspiracy theories? Like what, like, are you a uh, Bigfoot guy, UFOs, ghosts, demons? Uh, you know what? I'm, I, I will be fully transparent for, the, for, for one of the very first times in my life about this subject. Yes, I am. Okay. 100, 110%. I, I am a conspiracy theorist believer. I, I, uh, some of them are too far-fetched to be real. The one, but there are others that are just as equally far fetched that it can't be fake. Right. Like, like, like. Um, I don't know. I, I, can't, I can't say for sure. I believe in cloning. Right. Like, I, I have a friend that believes Eminem died in two thousand six, and that's oh, why. Oh, and, and that's why when version of him. <laughs> that's why, yeah. like, you didn't hear from him or see him in like three years, and then in two thousand nine, he came back out of nowhere with black hair, brown eyes. Like he was, he looked completely different. Like, I don't believe in cloning. But right. I'm I'm not gonna sit here and act like of the infinite p- realities and galaxies and planets out there that we are truly alone. Right. How egotistical can can the human brain truly go that of the vastness of space we're alone? It I think as recently as last year, two years ago, didn't the government come out and say that there has been unidentified flying objects uh, in our 
periphery yep. and they I, I was gonna say and they have no way to identify them but i think that's pointed out with the ufo <laughs> um, it's it, uh so there's existence of things that we cannot explain and that's kind of how these theories populate right um it's just the same thing with bigfoot and the chupacabra and like the loch ness monster it's like there is no way these things don't exist i i have seen pictures of animals and insects that we have identified and they're the most alien looking scary oh, thing yeah. in the world <laughs> some like, fish on, bro man. some fish in that in the in the trenches like the deepest parts of the ocean an angler some crazy fish. look at the stuff. angler fish you're trying to tell me that what that the pot that angler fishes exist but the loch ness monster can't <laughs> You're trying to tell me that bears, grizzly bears that are like 25 feet, two tons exist, but Bigfoot can't get out of here. Come on now. Do you think if you believe in things like aliens and UFOs that you can't believe in things like ghosts and demons? I believe in that too. Okay. I, I, believe, I believe that when we die, because science-wise, we're all energy. We're just right. carbon and atoms, electrons, you know, protons and synapses firing off. And when you die, an energy does leave you. Right. And there are energy it, can't die. It it can only no. be transferred. Exactly. And if you like die with conflict issues, unresolved things, that energy can stay. The energy has to you have to be at peace to transfer your energy. I truly I believe can, that stuff. I can see that. I can see that. I have felt go I I have felt ghosts. I know I have. I've heard weird things when i'm truly alone and it's silent and then you just hear something that just doesn't sound logical i felt the hairs stand up on my head when thinking about family members that have passed away like so do you think there is a tie like in in saying that you believe in those things would it be a stretch to go a step further and say that there's an organization tasked with keeping those things a secret well i mean right now edward snowden and julian assange are off the grid hiding for their life from the <laughs> actual government. So yeah, I kind of think that they might be a men in black stopping, you know, the, un the unexplained from being explained. Like there's no way. Now that's super fair. That's fair. Um, this, this comic series, which we'll get into in a bit is l l only six issues, three printed in 1990 and three printed in 1991. Um, but those would go on to inspire that, like you said, the action sci-fi comedy, of the Men in Black series, helmed famously by Will Smith, also starring Tommy Lee Jones, Rip Torn, etc. Can't forget the cartoon that was on WB. I was about to say that as well. We have the fourth installment with Men in Black International. We have the cartoon. There's games. There's um. Oh my God, I remember merchandise. The yeah, um, and that I guess is all pictured as a bit of a, I wouldn't say fish out of water story. I think this is almost probably more a fish out of water story. The comic is. Um, the it's it's kind of a story about how Will Smith makes a stuffy organization cool, like in a way. No, it, you know what it is. It, it it's very much the substitute teacher of it all. Yeah, where he where where it's like if like like um high school high or like the substitute or you know this guy is coming into an already established system and he's like you know what? let's shake things up a bit like, but it also very much so I feel gate a resurgence to that sci-fi comedy you know stuff that we've been missing because a lot of sci-fi before men in black truly was all horror invasion of the body snatchers yeah. fly you know uh the blob uh, uh, planet nine from outer space like if you really look at sci-fi you never really got until the if, 90s it, if it was comedy it was just like i made a girlfriend 
from my yeah, computer. Weird science. Exactly. Yeah. Weird science would be like yeah. it. What's E.T.? That's not considered a comedy, right? Uh, I would consider that a family comedy. Like a, like a dramedy, really. It's like it definitely yeah. has a lot of heartstring moments. But there's a lot of funny moments. Like when uh, like they were trying to put clothes on E.T. And he decides to come out in a dress. And young Henry Thomas is like, oh, no. Like, you know, it's. Again, we were just talking about that in the chat, weren't we? <laughs> we were just talking about that, so that's hilarious. Yeah, well, he's a little boy. <laughs> uh, of course. Um, yeah, the the series kind of I don't I don't know if the premise of those men in black films would have worked without a character like Will Smith, who at the time was seemingly untouchable. Um what do you think of the comics take of making it more like a training day esque scenario? I think the comics are 100% the darkest version of the Men in Black <laughs> that you can get. 100%. Like, the cartoons was was so outlandishly weird and just colorful and aliens exploding from, you know, ray guns. So it's like, you know, it's something to capture a kid's head. A lot of goo. A lot of goo. And then you have the movies, but like, like you said, yeah, 1997, are you crazy? This is literally the height of Will Smith's career. Yeah. Like this, this, this was it. So you definitely needed something like that to give more. Um, what's the word I'm looking for? It, it needed to have more fun. It definitely yeah. needed to be a, li- a bit more campy while also taking itself seriously because it did and didn't take itself seriously. But this comic went real dark, real fast. I think in, only in the first few pages we already have a human sacrifice from like a, oh, yeah, a Mexican yeah. um, religious group, like. So uh, Steven Spielberg, it was the executive producer of the film. He's the one who ended up calling Will Smith about it. Um, and yeah, because yeah, it was like, Amblin. It was Amblin Productions. I remember that. Yeah, and the thing is, he didn't really want to do it because he just did Independence Day. Oh, wow. Yep. Tur- turns out his wife, uh, Jada Pinkett Smith, convinced him to take the part. <laughs> so The one I good thought, thing she did. So I thought that that was pretty interesting there. Um, well, I mean... He gave that helped give us the Men in Black theme song, and you know, a world without the Men in Black theme song is just a cold world. Clint Eastwood was offered the role of K. Uh, I wouldn't have, I, I don't think I would approve of that. I think Clint Eastwood could be K if they were doing the book version. Clint Eastwood is also a bit of a racist and hard to work oh. with on set. Well, that Clint Eastwood rule, as we were talking about earlier, which is pretty uh, interesting. But I guess I'm just looking for like what this film would have could have been if it wasn't um, this pairing. Because I, I think you can only do it with this pairing. You would have to go back to how the comics portrayed these characters if you're not going to do it that way. Well, see, then, then, then there you go. Like, who would you who could you put as these comic counterparts? Like if it was if it didn't go the route of Jones and Smith. I well, first I'll say that I this is one of the few cases in which I think the diversity hire works <laughs> for for <laughs> the for the franchise, um, in the same way that that the the two races work in Training Day, like I think that 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 works. Um, Ethan Hawke probably would have made a good J if they didn't make Independence Day first. <laughs> I mean, I'm not Independence Day. Um, uh, Training Day. No, oh, Training Day the... isn't Training Day like a two thousands movie. Yeah, I mean, if it didn't exist, I guess at all, I think oh. uh, Ethan Hawke could have. We just saw him in Moon Knight. I think he could have been a, a good, uh, what you call it, or Joshua Jackson is that his name? 
the other guy from he, One Tree Hill? It wasn't he Dawson's Creek? Or Dawson's Creek. Yeah. Yeah. Oh God. We need a You're young, really young, young ones too. You're that's what I'm saying. We need really a young, young a young cop who you know is in over his own head, and then we need somebody who is so in control that he's geek. No one doubts him. And I think Tommy Lee Jones is a bit of that, but there's a bit of Tommy Lee Jones that has a level of old fashioned there that I don't think is necessary. If that makes sense, does you can still be totally in control without being old fashioned. Like, uh, like I said, I don't think Denzel Washington was portrayed as an old fashioned cop in Training Day. I, I I see what you mean. I see a traditionalist. I see what you mean. Right. That's that's exactly what I. That's well. That's I, the word the thing I, mean. is, I think that that works for Tommy Lee Jones's um persona of who we know him as an actor. Like think of the Fugitive. Yeah. No or No Country for Old Men. He's Any, an upstanding gentleman. Yeah. You know, but very but much I think that humble American apple pie. I I get it. I think that the K that we will be talking about in a bit is very far from that. He might be a traditionalist in the sense of of right and wrong, but he has no qualms about <laughs> doing whatever it takes to get some of this well, stuff the, done. This this K in the in the comic is very much a I don't care about nothing type attitude. Like he is very he he keeps being called a callous bastard, and I keep agreeing with Jay on it. Like. This man speaks in absolutes, just pragmatically, just, and, and it's different because Tommy Lee Jones, yeah, he was just upholding this traditional standard of the men in black organization. And Will Smith was like, you know, a wrench in the system, but at least he wasn't cold and callous. They also color it differently by saying that Kay had a tremendously beautiful encounter with aliens at one point, right? Yes. You know, and, um. They give him a backstory with his wife. Like there's, there's other things to humanize that character, and I wonder at what point in the script writing process that became a priority, right? Because they could have just made him this by the books. I know. don't think it would have sold as well. Yeah. I don't think that if this movie went, th this is one of the cases where comic book accuracy might have shot the movie in the foot. I don't think this movie would have sold as well. It would have had to have been, especially in the '90s, it had to have been an R-rated movie. Because there would have been way too much adult situations, adult language, and strong violence. Right. It would have been a, a lot more darker. It would have been like a horror movie, like like something like The Faculty. It would have, it, that's it, it would have just been this gritty horror, and it would have done nothing to help the genre. And I feel like that the way that this movie was done, it truly helped give either give birth to a new genre, or really give a, a slice of life to a genre that needed it. I agree. Um, one of the things I think should be said, even though that it might sound a bit blasphemous, is that the Men in Black comics did not sell well. <laughs> they were not uh, flying off the shelves. I can understand might, why. Like I said, it might be that they were missing the spice that is what they would add later on in film. You know, I think that that's a it's not a stretch to say that. Um, but a bit of a background on the comic itself. The Men in Black is an American comic book created and written by Lowell Cunningham, illustrated by Sandy Carruthers, and originally published by RSL Comics. RSL would later be bought out by Malibu, which would then later be bought out by Marvel. So technically, <laughs> the permit for those guys is uh, Marvel Comics. Three issues were published in 1990, with another three in the following year. It was adapted into the film Men in Black, which was a critical and commercial success, leading to three sequels, various spinoffs, as well as a number of tie-in one-shot comics from Marvel. Uh, 
Like, look Cunningham. at that. Look at what this. I'm sorry. It's just ahead, so brother. crazy that look at what all of this spawned from a six issue miniseries that did not sell. That <laughs> didn't do well. Yeah. Well, people are constantly looking for success and all yeah. of this stuff. Sorry. No, no, you're good. I was just going to say that I, I interrupted you because I was going to say that um, we're living in a world probably the, 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 the highest point of just give me a pitch. Right, '90s Hollywood is probably the highest point oh, yeah. of just, just sell me something, give me a pitch. 2000s it gets worse, but I think um, 1990 is the start of just like let's make it. Yeah, what is it? What's about? Yeah, yeah, sure, fine. Oh uh, yeah, elevator pitches was all of the, like you could just tell with all of the movies that came out from like '92 to like 2005, half of those have to be elevator pitches. Yeah, yeah. Um, so. It turns out that Cunningham had the idea for a comic once a friend of his introduced him to the concept of the government men in black upon seeing black van a black van riding through the street. You know, the secret organization and stuff like that. So they ended up coming up with this story. So we'll be recapping and reviewing the six issues um, loosely. <laughs> uh, so we can give you guys kind of an idea of what... Uh, this is all spoiler-filled. I can almost guarantee no one has read the comic if you if you want if you have come forth uh we, we can speak but if not i will lay out the details of the story as it, it's there and we can talk about um comparisons to the men in black we know and love what do you think i'm down for it let's do it on the outskirts of dry flats new mexico an officer named carl north awakened suddenly by a cult holding pitchforks its leader is insulted to have a government agent snooping around and forces him to fight one of the newest members of the cult who has hopped up on some drug. He orders the initiate to kill North. We cut away to show a man we know as Agent K spying on drug runners uh, called the Kionis family. He set up a situation where the rival drug running operation will confront and kill the one he's been watching, but things go awry when we see an undercover DEA agent amongst the drug dealers. K is fine with him dying like the rest, um, but his superior Zed tells him that the DEA agent is marked for recruitment. K decides he's going to go in and save him. So already instantly, it's not a situation of the recruitment being like, oh, you're the best of the best. You know, it, it's not the same situation like in the film where well, it's, you know, it's kind of the same situation in the film only because the um, Jay, when introduced in the film, he just so happened to be chasing down an alien that was under investigation by the men in black. Yes. So it's yeah. like, so like both, both operations ended up coinciding with each other and they just found each other by a happenstance. Right. But this is not a, like for the most part, this issue itself, there really isn't any, anything um, paranormal, extraterrestrial in this. No, not at all. So I, I found it kind of weird. I dug the story as told, but I found it kind of weird because, again, I thought that aliens and men in black were synonymous. What I realized in this and what we both realized when reading this, it's not just those phenomena, but science fiction, uh, mystic, you know, like we said, again, ghosts, aliens, yeah, Anything demons. that's not of the norm, they're right. really in charge of. Yeah. Yeah. Um, the DEA agent himself, feels like he's being watched but there's no time to worry now after nine months of infiltration he's finally being led to where they'll be manufacturing a drug called berserk which is said to be worse than crack 
Suddenly, a black car crashes through the side of their drug den, and Kay comes out and shoots and kills all the goons before demanding the agent come with him. Bro, Kay was catching bodies. And kind of smiling as he's doing it. Like, guy really doesn't care about shooting people in the face. Busting through with a shotgun without a care in the world. Yeah. No uh, noisy cricket in this. No noisy cricket. He is the noisy cricket. Apparently. When Jay refused to come with him, Kay flashes him with a neuralizer. When he comes to, he's in the car with Kay. Kay is very curt with the agent, telling him that he just saved his life and now he's his partner. He explains, <laughs> he is very curt. He explains the organization he works for is over on top of and beyond the system people think of is running the country. He says, we are they, we are them, we are the men in black. The agent recognizes the men in black as a myth, and Kay explains that he saved his life back there by not letting those men manufacture Berserk. He claims that Berserk is the most psychologically addictive drug on earth, and it causes people to feel unstoppable. The men in black have been trying to track down and destroy all traces of Berserk for the last six months. He tells the agent that while he was under um, while under the effects of the neuralizer, that he told Kay the Kionis were passing out samples. The agent is appalled when he basically feel, realizes that he was interrogated while passed out. <laughs> but Kay doesn't seem to be concerned about his worries. Is it around this part that you're Very different neuralizer, like, by the way, from the movie. Yeah. Way different. I have no, I honestly, I have no idea what this neuralizer does in this comic. Besides probably brain control. It, seem, it seemingly puts people in a persuasive state. Like a hypnotize. Like hypnotize. Yeah, it puts them in it. Yeah, I guess you could say that like where... When you're hypnotized, when the hypnotist tells you what to do next and you do it, that's that's basically what it is here. Where we've seen it to to be a litany of things. It can be a memory eraser, um, and it can also be used to allow the agents to implant their own version of the of events as told, and then the people just believe that. Which I've um, always wanted a neuralizer. Yeah. With the sunglasses on and pointed and just That was a meme for a while, remember? Yep, that wasn't me, but it's just Will Smith walking up with the sunglasses and the neuralizer. Yep. Um, so, yeah, the neuralizer is a bit different in this. It's always depicted as, like, water washing over somebody. Like, it's not really depicted as, like, it's, it's depicted that's in weird, waves. That's, we that's weird because now that I'm seeing it in my head, I, yeah. I it, it is. It's like it, it's a light flash, but you see, like, the blue waves on the face. It's depicted as waves and not as a, a beam or a ray of light, which is interesting. And they're they, they are like fully shot. It's not a situation where like they got to put on their glasses and hold it in front of them. Like they sometimes they shoot it from the hip. Like it's all kinds of ridiculous <laughs> neuralizing going on in this. Um, Kay gives him an option, basically. Join the men in black, learn what the world really is, or get zapped right then and there and get left behind. The agent chooses to join, so Kay opens a computer panel in the glove compartment and places his palm in one of its pads. Instantly, the government records proving his existence are wiped from the databases, all databases, and he's given a new name, Agent J. This is nowhere near as dramatic as the deleting of his name to then just put J, as in the movie, <laughs> <laughs> where you're deleting his no, whole name and just leaving it as J. In the movie, he had to get like his fingerprints like burnt off. I also felt like in the film it was explained that he would be erased. Yeah, he but never existed. This... Uh, he, he, he was he, he, you will never exist. You'll only be remembered as deja vu. That right. I think that was like something like 
in that movie, like Zed told him, like you're only gonna be remembered as deja vu. This People Jay doesn't seem to know. You, they won't. What? This Jay doesn't seem to know that he might be erased from the face of the earth when agreeing with this. No, he has no idea. Uh, so maybe you should have read the fine print before agreeing what, to what, what, all this. Fine print. What, first, what contract? Like this poor yeah. guy, he gets neuralized, wakes up, and being told, "You're my partner now. You're in the Men in Black. You don't like it? Well, I can neuralize you again and leave you right here in Dire Flats, New Mexico." With like no I said, I got I got event. definite training day vibes, and as we go on, it's one of those things where it's like they even make it a point to cast some shadows of doubt over K, you know, the same way that they do with um Alonzo, where it's yeah. like, well, initially you're like, well, Alonzo's a dick, but he knows what he's doing, and he's trying to make Ethan a better cop. But in this, it's the same way, like, oh, same way, like K's just trying to toughen up Jay, and after a while, you're like, well, maybe. K's way isn't always right. And you start to doubt maybe Jay has some actual insight as to how to do this job better. And I think all oh, that's very interesting. Bro, he let him, he used him as bait. We're, yeah, we're right there. Now that he's been initiated, K tells him that they're looking for a man named Hector Dominguez who got in good with the, I'm going to call them the Diablos. If somebody wants to correct I'm me, they can. The Diablos. But they spelled it Diablos. Bilos, B I L O S, D A, yeah, D I A B I L O S. How many L's? One L. Okay, then yeah, Dibilios. But you gotta say Dia. Diablos. I'm not doing that, so I'm saying Diablos. Diablos. (laughs) Diablos, a cult group with a drug obsession. He tells Jay that Carl North went to investigate and hasn't been seen since. When Jay tells Kay that he knows North, Kay's like, oh, yeah, that guy, he's probably dead. And Jay's like, yo, you're such a dick. And he's like, it is what it is. Like, that's what, there's many instances of this where Kay's just like, they're probably all dead. Or I might have to all kill them. And Jay's like, what? (laughs) Talking in extremes. And it's like, no, bro, that's part of the job. Well, I mean, he did, I mean, Tommy Jones did shoot Tony Shalhoub's head off. But he knew he was going to grow back. (laughs) Did he? He knew it, <laughs> he knew it was going to grow back. Um, maybe, maybe like a Dennis Leary. Yo, you know what? Dennis Leary and Ethan Hawke would, would kill that, would kill this role. Yeah. It would have to be someone like Dennis Leary who's, who just has like that dickish face. <laughs> or because he's, he's really young at this time, Tim Roth. Dennis Leary yeah. and Tim Roth. As like an almost an Agent Orange, orange kind of situation. Yeah. Yeah, I could totally see that. Um, Callus, they head to Hector's last known residence, a trailer park, and Kay gives Jay his official MIB uniform, including his own neuralizer. And yeah, I, which I didn't get- like that because I felt like in the movie, maybe it's just because it's like movie writing, but that neuralizer f- felt like an emotional turn point at the end of the movie. Yeah, like when he was retiring, he gives him the neuralizer, tells him how to use it, and then asks him to use it on him so he could retire. It felt like an actual, like an emotional drive. Do we see people use more than one neuralizer in a single instance? Um, I don't think so. No, no, because uh, if there was ever something like that, they have like vans. MIB has vans that pull up. Yeah, with a big and they flashed the whole neighborhood. Yeah, there's also a neuralizer in the Statue of Liberty in the second one. <laughs> yeah, that's true. Also, um, 
like are we led to believe that they both have their own in yeah the they film, both have in the film no no because J- k gives jay his so i want to believe that in the film the reason why it was given so much reverence is it's you're almost led to believe that the senior officer is in charge of that protocol yeah and it was also i feel like it was used as a torch passing yeah Definitely. Where here there is no passing of the torch now if they both have neuralizers. But it is hilarious because once uh, Jay gets his his neuralizer, he shoots <laughs> K in the face with it. It's like, bro, he has sunglasses on. Those are probably and then the greatest line in that entire series. Well, they're Ray Bans. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Does that's why like, like, they call them Ray Bans. <laughs> does, does he say something like, "Like you feel better"? Like you know, yep. like like, like, like you got that out your system. Yeah, yeah. It's like, <laughs> <laughs> he really thought he had one over on him. Like, and uh, <laughs> it just shows how, how again, how forward thinking K is. Like, yeah, sure, whatever, bro. Um, K-, K sends Jay to investigate the trailer for clues, but it proves to be a game of bait as K is knocked out by an assailant inside. K uses the kidnapping of Jay to find out where Hector and the Diablos have been hiding this whole time. He heads to a place called Devil's Mound, where Kay wakes up, and it's the same situation as when North did. He wakes up surrounded by cultists brandishing torches. The leader gives a female initiate some berserk and sicks him on Kay, who tries to use the neuralizer on her, but it fails. I love that he's like, does this thing only work on me? Like, why every time I try to use it for something, it doesn't work? Yeah, that that was funny. It started making me think that if it was the kid playing video games, analogy like is his unplugged you know did they just give him a controller and have it unplugged so that he couldn't use it i thought that was funny um so he finds north's dead body and does his best to defend himself against this woman but he's being damn near within an inch of his life k shows up last minute tells the cult that hector has all the drugs so they turn on their leader and kill him uh jay gets mad at k for setting him up but again, he doesn't care and says he'll be fixed right after they get back to headquarters. <laughs> what a what a introduction to our team, to our men in black. Um, that story had the most what you would consider exposition. I think the rest of them kind of fly by after you get introduced to the two, kind yeah. of understand their their rapport with one another and kind of do things in that in that way um yeah and then the rest after that is basically just the adventures of j and k yeah yeah if yeah mostly the adventures of k featuring j <laughs> <laughs> uh our next story in breakneck oklahoma a farmer angrily confronts the arrival of some ufos oh this is this a... was the closest to the movies yes this felt this like was, the edgar this was the closest yeah like exactly Edgar stuff uh, even with a direct quote that they yeah. pull from this and, and, and put in the film. Um, in Breaking Back, Oklahoma. When you pry up my cold, dead hands. You know, that's uh, uh, Kingpin. Yes, Vincent D'Onofrio. Yeah, yeah. It that's took me a while to figure like, it out. but well, If you really sit down and look at the casting of all four of these movies, they have some, like, A-list Hollywood actors just having the most fun that they've ever had. Yeah, yeah. And years before, he would get um, Wilson Fisk. So the farmer, um, oh yeah, the, a, a big alien approaches, asks him for his rifle. The farmer says he can have it if he prizes it from his cold dead hands, uh, fingers, sorry. And the alien takes the offer. At headquarters, Jay undergoes martial arts training, but gets upset when Kay tries to choke him out for real. 
Uh, <laughs> he, almost, he almost killed his ass. Yeah. Uh, K tells I want him, you to know what it feels like to be in real danger. Oh, well, thank you, buddy. Yeah, and they <laughs> talk about like, oh, side. they talked about like, oh, you could have killed me. He's like, well, we kind of did. He tells him to the rest of the world he has been dead. He is dead as per the organization's rules. Before he can throw a fit, they are alerted by Zed of a level, of a level three attack. They are told about Horace and Myrna Wilkins of Breakneck, Oklahoma, who have made repeated contacts with aliens over the past week. Their mission will be to verify that contact, verify that contact, and take appropriate countermeasures. Jay doesn't believe in aliens, but Kay tries his best to explain that most of what pop culture has shown about aliens has been kind of true. He claims that the aliens and Earth have a treaty, even going so far as to claim that Space Invaders was a computer-simulated interstellar war. But Jay rolls his eyes. I guess this is a this scene almost gets replicated in the film when they're like, "Remember the blackout of what you what you, you know what you call it? Like that was aliens, and you remember this, and you remember that aliens. Aliens invented this; they gave it to us, kind of stuff. So like fitting. Yeah, in that's also aliens. funny because they had a monitor of humans that were disguised as aliens. And Sylvester Stallone was one of them. And yeah. Jay's like third grade teacher was another. He's like, I knew it. I always knew my third grade math teacher had to have been from Mars. Well, actually yeah. Jupiter or a third son of Jupiter. So third moon of right, Jupiter. right, right. Michael Jackson too. Michael Jackson's up there. I can be Agent M. Terrible. Uh, so, uh, Jay now gets upset again. Petty aliens. These are some petty aliens. Well, Jay gets upset again when he realizes that he's had a mole removed. <laughs> Kay explains that all identifying marks of any kind have been erased or changed, so he can't be identified. Uh, they get ready and head to breakneck using a helicopter to drop their car from the sky. <laughs> so no, we get no red button, but we do get this and we get the 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 tunnel. Um, I do like the red button in the tunnel scene, though. Yeah. Yeah, but no. So we get a different tunnel. We got a different uh, train tunnel esque um, transport system where the gentlemen lay in these beds and get kind of sent like thunk, like they through these tubes. Heated. Yeah, through these tubes. I think uh, that was that was actually in the second movie. That was um, that was the emergency flush protocol. Oh, you're right. Like, MIB gets broken into. They have the tubes to take them right to. The Whatever other, yeah, the other, like the secondary thingy, like that place. And then it takes them outside, like you leave like a phone booth and there's all blue toilet water when you open the door of the phone booth. Yeah. Freaking disgusting. So they did find a way to implement that. That's, that's good. Um, once they get to Breakneck, they approach the elderly couple under fake names and pretend to be officers investigating the UFOs, complete with fake badges. Kay neuralizes the couple and interrogates them. The couple claims the aliens to be ugly creatures who want Horace's gun and won't stop visiting them until they get it. Kay considers shooting the couple, but Jay says, ah, just give them a BS story. So he tells them that swamp gas from a weather balloon was trapped in a thermal pocket and refracted the light from Venus, which is said exactly, almost exactly in the film. Word for word, not word for word from the movie. Yeah. Because Will Smith's like, what, swamp gas? What, what is this swamp gas nonsense? Yeah. And uh, that's what they saw. No alien. Kate goes to the car to upgrade his firepower. So Jay takes this opportunity to call his old job. But as Kate confirmed, everyone thinks he's dead. Kate comes back, tells the couple to go to sleep. And he and his partner await the Proximans. Proximans. The aliens they came to confront. 
Jay is flabbergasted at his first alien sighting, but after talking to the creature, they find out that the Proximans conduct what they can what can be considered as a scavenger hunt, going across the cosmos to bring unique and useless things to their queen. They wanted Horace's rifle, but he refused, so they are showing up every day until he dies so they can pry it from his fingers, as agreed. Uh, if they leave without it, they will be killed. When K, Yo, bro, it was—it's just the—that was probably the funniest shit that I read. I'm like, "Yo, wait, what do you mean you're gonna free the gravity and just go straight kamikaze? What? Yeah, like, oh, we failed kamikaze time. But that—that's that, like the—that's like the punishment in their culture. If you're not able to bring back something to the queen of of worth. So um, they it's not thought, even like they're coming to invade, like, you know, the cockroach in the movie came to invade. They right. just wanted a gun. And the like, thing is, they thought they that that was an agreement. We want your rifle. OK, you can have it when you pry it from my cold dead fingers. OK, that was it for them. They read the, that. That's, that's what's funny. They read that as they're black not going to kill him. They're no. not going to kill him. They're just going to wait for him to die. <laughs> and then take him because he said that they could. You can take it. You can have my gun when you take it from my cold dead fingers. So like, he's like, okay. Wait for you to croak. Yeah, yeah. You think? Thanks for uh, saying that we're allowed to have it. We'll just wait. So, <laughs> so I thought that was very funny, and I think it's always very interesting whenever, um, like they do this in Rick and Morty, right? With that, with that, uh, there's like a debate over an alien in Rick's basement, and like what it looks like versus what it could be, and all that kind of stuff. And I think that this is very much that. And I always like when it's done this way, where it's like, of course, these ugly and terrifying creatures scare the hell out of us, but like, they're not even here for that. They're like, they're they're here yeah, for such that a superfluous was reason. There to eat all babies and give people cancer. Space AIDS. Spa- that was it. Space AIDS. Space yeah. AIDS. Uh, K goes to aim a killing shot because he was always down to shoot this thing once it came. That was his plan, you know. Regardless, right? Yeah. But. Um, Kay's like, no, 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 I, I can, I can talk to him through. I don't even worry about it. We can talk this through. He gives the proximin his gun in exchange for them leaving earth. The exchange works well and it works without any bloodshed. So Kay's a bit impressed. He's like, oh, you could do this without killing people, without killing people. I had no idea that, that murder was not the only option. Who you know? knew that effective communication would work? It's like it's like Mark. It's like Steve and Jake and Mark. Yeah, I do. I do agree with you though. That is that is the most um, movie accurate sort of story. Like they seemingly took straight from that. Like that entire farm scene. Like, and we. I mean, I do like the whole pregnancy on the on, on the the Jersey Turnpike. Yeah, yeah, that was pretty <laughs> that's good. Kind of, that's kind of funny. But yeah, um, that was that was crazy. How it was just that accurate. And they didn't even need to kill the farmer. Right. And the farmer is is no big threat. Like, there, the, there's no third act, big bad, or any of that kind of stuff. Um, our next one has to deal with a little bit of the occult, um, which is different from Men in Black in general. I don't think that majority of Men in Black deals with the occult, but this one deals with an actual factual demon. Uh, and a bit of the Stranger Things kids, apparently, uh, in this in this story. Uh, we go to Plaxton, Ohio, and we see a bunch of kids playing D&D, but they use a Tibetan tech, techohedron. Tech, tech, it's, a, it's a dice. 
tetrahedron. Yeah, it's like a twelve-sided die. Yes, but it's Tibetan, and so it's imbued with mystical abilities. And so when they they roll it, a demon comes out of nowhere, uh, and basically takes off. Um, K and J sit back and play some cards as they wait for their next uh, assignment from Zed. And Zed's already on K's or K's or J's already on Zed's bad side because he thought Zed was like a a computer program or something like that. He didn't realize he was an actual person. Well, in in fairness, they did kind of give him like the Charlie from Charlie's Angels type vibe. Yeah, they don't even show him. Yeah, yeah, they never show him. Um, We at least get Zed. I think he gets killed in the second one, right? Uh. I think doesn't so. that woman kill him? That weird woman alien thing. No, I think what no what happens is uh, he survived, but Riptorn dies before the third one can happen. So they they kill him off in the third one as just that's how the th- the third movie starts. It starts with Emma Thompson coming in to take over in Zed's untimely death because Riptorn actually died. Yeah. Uh, this is priority alert one. So we've dealt with a priority alert three kind of situation. This is this is way more deadly, apparently. So they decide that they're going to go and use uh, the tubes, those transit tubes that I was talking about, um, that can transport them anywhere in the world. Apparently, the whole ordeal is extremely taxing on the mind. <laughs> so Kay's kind of, I mean, Jay's kind of dealing with it while uh, Kay's giving him shit about it. Uh, they have a car that can change from regular to a police car, a bit of a bit more of MIB technology. So they use that police car to go to that uh, to go investigate the demon. Along the, the route, they see a squirrel, and Kay takes great pleasure upon running it over on purpose, kind of showing the kind of man <laughs> that he is. So I thought that was a pretty interesting too. Um, they meet up with a bunch of different people from the town uh and try to figure out what they think happened and they're all saying that there was a demon you know so during this whole time especially since what happened with the aliens k and j are arguing over how to best handle this situation with k obviously trying to do the most abrasive thing in the world and j thinking that there's better ways to handle people um there, I guess you could say there's a bit of that between Will Smith and Tommy Lee Jones, but the Will Smith of it all is not that Kay's handling people the wrong way. He's just been doing it so long that he has no like bedside manner. Well, that was that was a, a big theme that was in the first one too. Uh, every time like Kay was neuralizing someone, Jay's like, "Yo, you, you can't just neuralize everybody that you that you, that you interview." Yeah, it happens with the with the. With the with the morgue lady, he does it like three times. Yeah. He's like, "Yo, you can't be like doing yeah, it all willy nilly." Because he neuralized, um, what's it called? The farm, the farm wife gave oh, the yeah. bullcrap story about the, the about the gaslight and told him told her go get a dress and go buy yourself something nice. And then he does it to the morgue <laughs> lady twice. He's like, "Oh, oh come on, man, you can't, you're gonna give their brain damage or something? Like, ain't you ever giving everybody brain cancer with that thing? I don't know." Yeah, and then and then we get to a situation where they get to the home that the demon came out of, and uh, they see the woman there, and she's just co- basically comatose. Like she, seeing the demon, all this kind of stuff, she just can't cope with what's going on. So, like I said, Kay has no bedside manner, so he's like, 
done with all this. It's like, we'll just leave her here. She sounds like she's crazy and no one will believe her anyway. So let's go find that demon in case like you're just going to leave her like this. All those people that you erase their memories for your own good and you're not going to erase her memory to make her feel better. And he's like, go ahead. Then you do it, bro. You do it. And so he does it and it doesn't really work. And the lady just goes crazy and runs away. Um, and <laughs> Kay's like, bro, whatever, bro. Like, we'll, we'll, I'll take your your way of doing these things, but it's you're too new to this to understand how these things work. Um, it does really feel like a training day situation of like you're in way over your head in this. Um, does in your mind does Kay Jay seem a bit too sympathetic? Uh, I, I think it's because Jay is used to, you know, rules, regulations, guidelines, and he's just a moral compass type of person. You know, he's a DEA agent. So, well, he was a DEA agent. So at the end of the day, his his main priority was always protecting the public from dangerous drugs and drug cartels and trafficking and all that. So seeing him now in this organization that literally has no regard for from morality and, and ethical treatment, yeah, he's going to be this way. I love that they put out some big guns and now Jay's ready to kill because he's seemingly very affected by this woman who had her child, you know, taken or whatever by the demon. Um, and they just kind of like walk up on kids playing D&D. The kids seem unimpressed. So... Kay tells the rest of them to leave and decides he's going to play D&D with just one of the kids and get him to bring the demon back out with that Tibetan uh, Totecahedron. Tetrahedron. Tetrahedron. Yes. Thing. Um, and it, it works. The demon comes out, uh, goes to attack Kay. Jay has the gun pointed on him and then just like I said before, like the aliens, like you don't want to kill me. You need to kill him. He is the true devil. He's way worse than everything I've ever known or anything I could have ever done. And Jay's like, well, it's better the devil, you know, than the devil you don't and kills the demon. Exercise it, if you will. Um, and you're just looking for the key master. Jay's super happy. I mean, Kay's super happy. He's like, whoa, bro, you did it. You finally shot somebody in the face. Like, that's that's totally what this job is about. I'm glad that you've come around. Uh, you know, you're in the men in black. You're just like me now. And he's like, yeah, I mean, I am in the men in black, but I'm nothing like you. And man, we but, miss, I miss a good good job sport. Just the, oh, just a good job sport from Tommy Lee Jones is enough to make your week. This next story is probably the most bonkers of all of them. Uh, uh, what from the first issue of of, of of two of the sequel with the superhero? I I kind of clocked out after this. Okay, like my like brain wise, like trying trying to make sense of this shit. I'm like, what? Like he he literally had like that Hercules, like that Marvel Hercules type outfit. Like he looks like some like weird demi greek god but the way he was illustrated is like just this demonic figure so i'm like it's like, like a, a weird really. like a weird wolverine quasi i think he has a mullet there's a lot going on with this guy there was so much going on in, the, in this stuff and it, once the sequel hit i can understand why the sequel didn't why it wouldn't have done so well because right it, it started going everywhere it's, it's even less happen. grounded than the other thing and so that that the the uh 
the first three issues we just covered were from the first run of this. In this second run, we have um, this vigilante that calls himself the wolf, and he has a wolf with him that he calls Peter. And they go around and they kill criminals um, using like sharp claws, and he will sick the wolf on these people. So Jay and Kay are brought in to kind of figure out what this man is. And we find out that the guy acts as if he's a blind man when he's not in his vigilante costume. So he acts as if the wolf is a dog and he walks around the city, you know, and no one kind of is the wiser. But J and K, who are, you know, experts at now looking at things further than what it appears, realize that they need to catch him. Um, and so they do. But the bigger issue is that we find out that this gentleman also worked for the men in black. Um, and basically escaped, took some of their tech with him, and thus they've been hunting him down ever since. Um, one of the tech he took it were, were eyes, like his eyes, <laughs> or some sort of form of uh, nanotechnology that allow him to see things that other people can't. And so when they able to confront this vigilante, Kay's like, your eyes for your life, basically. That's the only way this is going to work. And... Um, Jay's confused by this whole thing, confused by this being an ex-MIB member, confused by the fact that Kay knows who this person is, confused by the fact that Kay wants this man's eyes, seemingly, and is willing to let him go. So he decides, uh, Jay's just there, and he has the gun trained on both of them, but when he goes to shoot, he accidentally shoots Kay, which lets the wolf go, so then he has to go confront the wolf himself, and that's when the wolf is like, Kay is a monster, like he's worse than anything I could ever be um and so you need to worry about that and not worry about me so much kind of again placing seeds of doubt about whether or not all of this is for the right because of how willing to kill we have seen okay you know some of the stuff that the wolf is saying here about k and why we should be worried about him um we've seen right so it's not like this is all coming out of nowhere like if this was all if he was saying all of this about mr rogers we're like oh yeah yeah whatever but we've seen him take pleasure in doing these no, things. No, one hundred percent. One of the, the when he saves Jay, the first time we see him, you know, really in action, he literally drives his car into a group of people and just murks everyone. Mm-hmm. Um, and he, you can, you can tell that, yeah, you know, maybe there is a little bit of weight to what these people are saying, but it's also one of those instances where this is a villain. So who's to say whether or not? they're just not saying it's just brainwashed to be manipulative. Now, at least yeah. well, maybe this one would have more weight because he's an ex MIB member, but that devil in the dice, I don't, I don't know if that devil in the dice has, has credible weight. Oh yeah. Uh, so the, this, this villain vigilante wolf guy, he says, you're new to the organization still being broken in. You haven't seen the extent of its power or the depth of its evil. You think the men in black, exists solely for the protection of society but you're wrong they want to guide society shape it control it uh they don't protect it they suppress it um and that's a big difference from the comics the comics are basically just more cops for the <laughs> for the for earth in its galaxy whereas um if if this man's claims can be believed um they are actively working the world they're, they're you know they're actively well, choosing I mean, to let things that happen it's kind of what they are doing in a sense because you know even even uh k tells jay in the very first movie he's like you know a person is smart 
but people are dumb panicking messes. So it's like they really are picking and choosing what people can handle, what people should know. And, yeah. uh, you know, that, that suppression of knowledge, you know, there, there is no power in, in, in willful ignorance, you know? Right. And I think, you know, I think if the common person would like was put in that position, I think they would get where Jay is like, where who gets to choose and what stuff, you know, can people handle and all that kind of stuff. Um, and, well, and we've been here before with that too, especially with the Eternals argument yes. that we've had in the group chat where I'm on Druig's side, but it's like, at, you know, I get it. At what point is peace not enslavement? Surrender of free will. Yeah. For peace. Um, so the, the, this this vigilante beast goes to lunge at um, Jay, but Jay kills him, shoots him directly through the heart, uh, and him and the wolf, wolf and the wolf, both plunge into the ocean. And then um, they're like, "Do you think he's dead?" I, I got this is one of the best like portrayals in this book. They're like, "Do you think he's dead?" And he goes. Um, I doubt that men in black don't kill easy. And then Jay says, no, we do kill easy, too easy. Just a commentary on how willing to yeah. take lives yeah. pay it. So I thought that was pretty good. A pretty, a pretty good uh, play on words. I thought that was the end of the weirdness. The next issue deals oh, with a, my friend, no, it is not. A, a crow myth called the ravening, the, is it the ravening man. The rave, yeah, the Raven. Yeah, no, there's no G, so yeah. Yeah. Uh b -b 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 let me yes, the Ravening Man. Um, which takes them to Pit Lick, Kentucky, which yuck. Um, and they get there. I love they that they are traveling the world, they're traveling America a lot more than they did in the movies. Like that first movie was just the first two movies was just New York, and then in the third movie, they go to Florida. <laughs> I kind of dig, dig dig it done this way. I do dig it done this way too. I kind of do like that because you know what it is. It shows that they're an organization, but I can also see why it should also stay in New York because you know just just because you're men in black doesn't you're not the only two agents. Right. There should be jurisdictions. There's no way two men in black agents from Manhattan, New York, should be investigating a crime in Iowa or you know. So you see how stories like this um, kind of they can they can really easily be seen as possible anthologies yes you know because you could just go on and keep telling new stories and go on and keep oh no that's what i think this this series is i think all three of these all six of these issues is a is an anthology series i don't think this is one main storyline and in the same and when you read the the second the series the sequel i mean it says the new adventures of the men in black Hmm. So it does. It does seem to be more so painted to be an anthology. Like here's just the adventures of these guys. So I think that, like in my opinion, um, another book that does this is Hellboy. I know you haven't really got into it, but Hellboy almost every issue is an anthology like this. They get called to a place where there's some sort of extraterrestrial being, and the movies deal with this very lightly. I think one once in every movie they get pulled onto a call, but every movie is this like big overarching narrative. Well, as much more as, we the hate, Hellboy. Yeah, as, much as we hate the Hellboy with David Harbour, they did do that. Yeah, they were the bat, you know, the bat wrestling thing. 
Um, and so usually in the Hellboy stories, they are a little bit more disconnected. And so Hellboy is very much like K in this, where he's done this for so long. He's lived for so long, done this for so long, over a hundred years. Um, and that all this is second nature to him. And like they don't, they, they've never really been able to nail that. Um, I think you could say argue they nailed it in the Harbor stuff, but there's a lot of other stuff they didn't in that. And thus, no, they didn't have to go King Arthur. For some reason, every movie, well, you know, like in the last seven years, had to go King Arthur route for some reason. And the craziest part is that's actually canonical. So it's, it, it gets it's, weird. Yeah, you keep telling me that, that, that that's actually canonical. It, it's weird. <laughs> they, br- they bring up this story of, uh, you know, people saying that they see this ravening man, this like this like weird crow god that, uh, you know, kidnaps or kills or eats people that are sticking their nose where they shouldn't. And Kay is sweating bullets and he's just like, I mean, Jay is sweating bullets and he's like, it can't be real. And Jay, I mean, Kay susses that Kay, oh my God, Kay susses that Jay has dealt with a scenario know, like this before in his, in his mind. And it, we kind of get a flashback um, that Jay had a weird experience with a, a family of crows. That has caused him to be terrified of crows, but K spells it all out. This childhood Trump traumatic moment, which lets us know that again, K knows way more than he's letting on, and how? Who who knows? But but that's actually funny because in the third movie, K did know Jay since he was a kid. Yes. Yeah. So that is actually kind of funny that they went that route. They they spun it all the way around. So, yeah, there's a lot of arguing about, oh, how did you know that? How did you know that? Don't, don't worry about it. Listen, we're on mission. We got to figure out what's going on. So they overhear a man beating his son. <laughs> and so they neuralize them both, ask the man what's going on. He said his son's been telling tall tales about this ravening man and he will have nothing of it. And he's like, well, why? Because you don't believe it? Uh, like, no. domestic abuse. Yeah. He's like, why? Because you don't believe it? And he's like, no, I totally believe it. Um, there's some sorry. There was like some Donald Trump hair going on over here in this panel with <laughs> with K. Uh, I'm gonna save this picture, and you can tell me if I'm telling the truth or not. <laughs> but yeah, he's like, no, I, 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 I'm not beating him because he's he's telling a lie. I'm beating him because I believe it too, and I don't want him to come back. They already took that little boy, and you know I can't stand for any of this long enough so they walk around looking for my only option is to beat my son my son yeah uh this is the um like freddy krueger of it all right where the parents know and the kids are finding out you know so it's like yeah there is a lot of pop culture in the in in these books yeah well that's i mean that might have been why people kind of put it down because they were like i i've seen this (laughs) you know that could be it, but um, probably, yeah, probably. They suspect that one of that one of the inhabitants is actually the person been that's been doing this. And at one point, they see like this weird, grotesque half man, half bird creature that they're able to shoot and kill. But when they kill it, it just reverts back to a bird. So Kay's like, I guess it was always a bird. And Jay's like, sorry, Jay's like, I guess it was always a bird. And Kay's like, um, no, they use magic uh transmogrification which i believe the kids learn in harry potter at one point no yeah and uh i think that's a 
a, a thing in myth in mythology, like a, some kind of like Hercules, not Hercules, Zeus. When he goes down to earth, he changes into like a goat. Mm-hmm. It's like God's there, there's been a whole bunch of things of God's changing into animals when they visit humans all throughout history. Weird crap. Right. And so, and I think transmorphication has been like one of those things always in myth and magic and occult. Well, you remember change the animorphs, right? Yeah. Yes. I remember animorphs. Those are my shits. So they like have another encounter with one of these bird men creatures. They run it over. They think that um, this old man has been the one that's actually been doing it. So they confront him about it and he seems pretty uh, like abrasive. So they're like, yeah, he's totally the fucking guy. Um, let's go inside his house and look around and they do. Um, but when they do the bird man, it starts attacking, uh, he like the pictures of this guy is freaking frightening as hell. At one point he goes and grabs K and goes to, uh, one, one of these creatures goes and grabs K J sorry. And K's like, I, I got you, bro. Just give me a second. And he goes down to the old man and he's like, tell your bird to let him go. And at first he's like, I don't know what you're talking about. He's like, tell your bird to let my partner go. And he's like, oh, well, he stuck his nose where he shouldn't. And so Kay's screaming, because this is literally the worst thing of his whole life, right? He was scared of these crows before. And now this giant crow is seemingly taking him to his death. So with no other real option, uh, he shoots the old man dead. And shooting the old man dead, uh, the, bir- the bird monster thing reverts b- back to being a bird. And um, that that's basically it. That's the story there. Kay uh, has a moment to himself where he thinks to himself, well, maybe his way of doing things does get results. Because if he didn't shoot that man, nothing would have happened. He would have got killed and shit. So. Yeah, and they really much drew this this uh, crow creature to look like Adrian Toomes. Like, I am I to say the vulture. Or, yeah. Does he look like the vulture? He definitely has some vulture, uh, vulture-esque aesthetic. The this one is probably the most comedic, right? This last issue that we'll be covering here, where they go to the Comic Con. Yep. So basically, a space cop is sent down to uh, arrest or bring punishment to Jay for breaking MIB protocol and doing that deal with the Proximians or whatever to give him the gun. Uh, it's decided that they're going to go into a Comic-Con to do the deliberations for this. Uh, and so you have this big RoboCop Terminator-esque robot alien. I kind of think he con. looks like Krang mixed with Darkseid. Kang. Kang mixed with Darkseid. He also has a bit of like AIM, those weird AIM beekeeper kind of fucking he does. look to him. But you're right. He's all those. He has the su- he has the Super Saiyan shoulder pads. He's just a weird. He does have the Super Saiyan shoulder pads. He just he's meant to look as this big hulking figure that of judgment that's here to take K. So they decide to, that they're going to do this whole trial at the Comic Con. But at one point at the Comic Con, the the guard or whatever you know whoever this intergalactic police force guy is, he's spotted by another alien, and the alien's like, "Yo." Last time you came around, you did some shit and it wasn't fair. They argue. He tries to kill him, the cop. It doesn't work. And then the cop just traps him in an elevator and incinerates him. So we see that this guy doesn't play any games. 
But I thought the funniest part was there's there's a lot of yada yada in this. Like there's a lot of yada yada in this. There's a lot of commentary yeah. on comic cons, on comic readers, on sci-fi, on all that stuff. But eventually they're doing cosplay presentations and the you know this uh, this prosecutor, this intergalactic prosecutor shows up and is like I am here to accuse K of breaking some laws and he he basically conducted favoritism <laughs> and so the way this is going to work is if he pleads guilty then i will kill him and if he doesn't then i will kill everyone on earth so k's like oh yeah just let just let him kill everybody like he's just kind of like needling him and elbowing him like like oh this is a joke and so uh k's eventually like you know what man just kill me just kill me. Don't kill anybody else. And so they're like, okay, we'll kill you by disintegration. And Kay just like, I guess this is this is what it's gonna be. And Jay's like, yeah, I guess. And they start counting down the seconds. And Kay, in a last minute, sorry, Jay, in a last minute effort, grabs Kay and puts him in front of him to take the brunt of this disintegration. But both of these men get disintegrated. Everyone claps because they think it's some kind of cool sci-fi thing. Um, and then we get an epilogue where Kay wakes up in a tube. We hear a computer talking about biological duplicates. Rick and Morty, bro. You get it? We get a, we get a, yeah. uh, the Phoenix protocol or whatever has been enacted. Duplicates of Jay and Kay were killed by that guy. And Kay finds out that Jay sacrificed him, you know? And it, what, what did you take from this? He kind of seems impressed, right? Yeah. Uh, yeah, it's almost like a damn kid. I didn't think you had it in you to be a, to be a callous bastard. <laughs> yeah, he goes, what? Jay suckered me into getting killed. And the computer's like, yes, I think Jay's ready for phase two. Uh, or Zed, sorry. He's like, I think Jay's ready for phase two. What about you? And he goes, phase two? Sure, why yeah, not? Sure, why not? The kid's learning. I guess I have to keep my eye on him. I thought that, that that drop at the end is a really cool and pretty dark drop, right? That these no, it, operatives... It was, really, it was really sick where like they get disintegrated and he just like essentially wakes up. It was like if he was playing Roy. Yeah. yeah. yeah and he didn't go back to the carpet store. Yeah. Like it, I, was, it was crazy dark. Um, and the idea is that they always, this always happens, right? That they're just making duplicates of these agents that are always going on missions and getting killed to then awaken. Because, oh, the one of the things that I failed to mention was that the new K <laughs> had his memory wiped to the point of all of that that happened. So all he remembers is his last mission, not the mission he got. He just got killed on. So yeah. in, in a very Westworldian fashion, everyone just gets reset again. And yeah. Yeah. They're just tasked with going back out the next day on their next mission. And if they die from that, they'll get the memory. They, they're the Eternals then. It's, it's what it is. <laughs> it's that Rick and Morty episode where uh, Rick made clones of the family and then they got sentient and then they made, and then Rick made his own clone. Then the clone makes the clone. So everybody duplis Morty or something like that. Duplis a Morty. It feels like they were getting ready to reveal 
more darkness, right? Am I the only 100%. one who felt, who felt that? No, it, like I think if this if these books would have sold, you would have had a continu- at least a continuation. But it, I think they did do one more little little mini series uh, or a one shot after all of this. Well, I, I know that the, I know that the next thing that they do is the movie adaptation. And they create a bit of a prequel, but I wouldn't be surprised if um uh they that that was all decided about like maybe possibly bringing in another mini series from the OG stuff. Yeah, cuz I I I cuz I know on wiki it says miniseries one shot but it also says six issues so he is all weird with it because it says it was uh leading to, uh which was a commercial and uh critical success leading to three sequels and various spin-offs as well as a number of tie-in one shots from marvel oh yeah I don't think I mean, we ever tie- got m- movie tie-ins uh oh movie tie-in one shots yeah uh, and, I, and i think i think there is almost for all of them and there's a prequel that I want to read, a prequel for the first film. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. They never went back on this narrative. Oh, uh, they just, I, they I, just, uh, I, they. I would have. I kind of dig this narrative. I think they should. In a, now that it's, we're 30 years removed. Maybe try this narrative one more time in like a, instead of um an anthology type fashion, maybe just drop one more Men in Black book. Uh, this could work as a sci-fi series, like a like a. X Files. Yeah. Yes. Oh my God. Yes, it can. And you know that was the whole thing about X Files and Men in Black is X Files is this is X Files. This yeah. is this is the spirit and the theme to which Sully and uh, whatever his name was Mulder name was is Mulder and Scully. That was it. Mulder and Scully. Yeah. Like this is what what X Files feels like. Mm-hmm. This is completely night and day from the Men in Black movie we had. But this was, but X Files definitely feels like this kind of run. So I would love for them to do something like that, like a Roswell. Yeah, um, but you know what's going to happen if they were to do that? Then people would criticize. Why are they suddenly making Men in Black dark and gritty? Oh my man, <laughs> man! Then you just got to appoint them to the newest, hottest, latest, and greatest podcast, just so they know the truth. And that's what we do here as part of the Major Issues podcast. <laughs> yes, it is. We are always talking about the Lewis Hollis ladies and greatest things to come to comic books and comic book media. And we wanted to especially cover this episode here because we didn't believe that there were many people covering it. There's not many people in general talking about uh, the Men in Black comic series. I'm just calling it right now. If by tomorrow or by next week, you all of a sudden, out of nowhere, see Mr. Sunday. I already knew knew where you were going. You knew where I was going. I I swear to God, they they listen to us. They know us. They follow. There is no way that Mr. Sunday Movies drops just so by happenstance the same content we drop the weeks we drop it. That is that's pretty funny. And I also got mad, especially with um Constantine. We had Constantine on our schedule for months, and then out of nowhere, the week we were set to record, Jeremy Johns reco- reviews Constantine, freaking Chris Stuckman, uh, nostalgia critic. I'm like, what? How? How is this possible? I'm telling you, bro, because I've been to the future, but I can't tell you how we do it. 
<laughs> oh, uh, that we're all alone for this ride, my friend, my uh, friend. We are all alone for this ride. So yeah, we. we uh, thank you guys for listening to this episode. We do this stuff every single Wednesday. Knock on vibranium. We haven't missed an episode yet. Um, we decided to do this instead of covering the films. It still gives us time to cover those films. You know what I'm saying? We still got time to to hop into the Men in Black averse if in case. But I I now want to revisit those films with this background. I wouldn't have not I wouldn't have wanted to cover these films for ignoring the source material. Yeah. Now I think if we were in the future sometime this year cuz it would still be the uh anniversary, we could still cover this the the films and um now with this whole other backdrop of what it really had intended to be. But the only way to find out if we are going to do that is to make sure you listen to every single episode of the Major Issues Podcast or keep tabs on everything Comic Book Click by going to comicbookclick.com, the one stop for everything Comic Book Click, including our merchandise, articles written by us, and every single piece of our merchandise that is designed exclusively by me. You buy a mer- you buy a piece of merch from comicbookclick.com by going to comicbookclick.com and hitting that Shop CBC link, which will take you to our tea Public, and we get a kickback from every single purchase made, which helps us keep the lights on here. If you would like to give us some more money, which we will never uh, turn down, you can consider being a Patreon at patreon.com slash CBC Clubhouse. And for as little as $3 a month, 10 cents a day, you can help us uh, afford the hardware and the software we need to keep providing quality free content for everybody else. Um, And we're looking for some looking to create some exclusive content just for those who have been so generous as to donate. We still have stuff going on on our YouTube with our CBC Reacts videos going up on there. Our team is actually expanded behind the scenes. So we have been doing a bunch of overhaul at things like facebook.com slash comic book click, Instagram at comic book click, or uh, at major issues CBC, which is our Twitter. Consider following all of those, and they, those should also be in the show notes as well. Um, you can rate and review us on iTunes. It's the quickest way for us to grow as podcasters and find out what you like and which, what you don't. Uh, it helps us grow our audience and it's free of charge so consider rating us in whatever app that you're in podbean stitcher podcast addict apple podcast app tune find youtube spotify they say that we're not doing facebook podcasts anymore but the last episode i uploaded went up as a podcast so i have no clue what the hell's going up there but yeah consider following us consider telling a friend to tell a friend join us next week as we bring back a which was worse uh, a, a major issues classic so get ready for that next week um and then we're going to jump right into the dark knight trilogy to celebrate its 10-year anniversary so a lot of big stuff coming we still got miss marvel we still got the boys we still got umbrella academy we still got thor love and thunder it doesn't seem to be stopping so make sure that you get on uh this bandwagon before it ends up becoming full and uh we will see you guys next week with some more great content but my name is george serrano aka the don i am dan the quarantine man and this has been our recap and review of the men in black comic series and remember you didn't see an alien it was a swamp gas from a weather balloon that was trapped inside (laughs) a thermal pocket and reflected from the light from venus There are no aliens, there's no ghosts, there's no demons, there's just a click and you, which means that you got to remember that you